Amen. Good morning. You turn over to Hebrews 11. I'm going to go through a few announcements as you're doing that. And um, again, uh, we have a mother-son bowling night this upcoming Saturday, as I was stated earlier. And Nina will be taking uh, anyone who wants to register. Uh, she'll be in the library today. And then at our midweek service, you can also give. But that will be the last day at Wednesday at midweek. And again, if anybody wants to donate just to help out another family, we're just asking for $10 if they can do it. If not, that's fine. But we want to do all we can to help everybody that wants to go to be able to go. Amen. I want to remind us, starting next month, uh, in the month of May, what we're going to do is we're going to have two services, English service at 10 o'clock, Latin service at 1 o'clock. So we're going to have two services for the month of May, 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Now, all that being said, I know a lot of times we love the fellowship, but if you're at the 10 o'clock service, you're going to have to great service, have a fellowship, 30 minutes or so, but then we're going to have to go ahead and leave to make room for the next group coming in. Uh, parkings plus space, so we just need to be aware of that. So I want to encourage us to start practicing now for the next couple of weeks. So after service, have a good time of fellowship, and then marry on our way joyfully in the Lord. Amen? Two services, English, Spanish. 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock, starting next month, the month of May. Also, uh, we were going to have a leadership class today, but we will not have one today. It's just it's a lot going on. Uh, but we will have a new Christians class next week. I will teach a new Christians class, 12 o'clock here. Anybody can be a part of it, but we're going to teach how to get deeper into the Bible, how to understand scriptures that you look at and, and you can't figure it out instead of just skipping over it. How do I deal with it? So we're going to go a little bit deeper into learning how to have good times with the Lord. Uh, so that'll be next Sunday at 12 o'clock here, a new Christmas class for anyone that wants to be a part of it. Uh, also, we have solidified our, our buses for the Rhode Island trip. And so the way it's going to be is uh, the, the conference starts Friday evening. And it goes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday service is at 1 o'clock Sunday in Rhode Island. So we're going to have the buses leave here from the school at 11 o'clock on Friday. That way you take the bus up there and then we'll leave at 5 p.m. on Sunday to come back. Now, we will not have the school rented that weekend. So we will have house church service. So if you're coming with luggage, you won't be able to come inside the building and wait. You'll have to just uh, be out there. The buses will be here ready to go at 11. So if you want to sign up for that, you can see Marie Reyes. Where is Marie? Miss Marie. Everybody knows Miss Marie, but she's probably out there doing something. Uh, but she will sign up in the library if you want to sign up. But here's the catch. You can't sign up for the bus unless you're already registered. Because we can't take up a space on the bus, and then if you change your mind and not go, then that space is already accounted for. So the fee is any adult is $80. That's for the whole trip. But if you are a senior or you have a child or a teen or a campus student, it's $50 for you to go on the whole trip. That's a really good price to get a whole round trip uh, up to Rhode Island and back. And that covers everything, tips for the drivers, everything. So uh, just so you know, Miss Marie will be signing up starting today in the library if you want to be a part of the bus ride. Or you can drive yourself. That will be totally fine. So if you have any questions, please ask Miss Marie. Don't ask Lauren Hooks or Maurice Hooks. Ask Miss Marie. She can help you with whatever it may be. Amen? All right, let's jump into our lesson today. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethro, David, Samuel, and the prophets. You know, last week we looked at Gideon and Gideon's heart and what Gideon did. But today we're going to take a look at the next character in the Hall of Faith. 
Now, not many people even know about this character, but once we read it, you may have, oh, I have heard of him and this, this, or that, but we want to really focus on this today. So, let's start out by going to God in prayer, and then we're going to jump into our lesson. Almighty God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Thank you, first of all, for waking us up to another day. And now I pray, God, that you help all the distractions to be tossed away. Help us just to focus on what you want us to learn, how we can walk away more faithful than how we walked in. Father, whether our faith is at a low point or a high point, it doesn't matter. We can all still grow in our faith. Thank you so much for the many blessings you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever heard the expression, he really dropped the ball? That was somebody who maybe uh, failed at an assignment or was scheduled to do something and didn't accomplish it. The term failed to drop the ball is a pretty known uh, term. But the origin of that phrase can be traced back to the fourth game in the 1941 World Series against the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees. The Yankees were up two games to one in the best of seven series. And it looked like the Dodgers were going to take game four, tying the series. Brooklyn was leading the game four to three at the top of the night. The Yankees were up to bat and no one was on base. It was two outs. Three balls and two strikes. All they had to do was to get this guy out, Tommy Hendricks, and the game was over. The pitch came, he swung, and he missed. But that should have ended the game. But yet, the ball hit the catcher's heel of his glove and bounced off. Thus, Tommy was able to run to first base safely. That was the beginning of the end. They went on to win that game and the series, and it all happened because the catcher, Dropped the ball. Oddly enough, Mickey Owen, who was the catcher, he set a record that season for the most errorless fielding catches by a catcher. 508 perfect catches, to be exact. He was also an all-star for four consecutive years and was the first player to pinch hit a home run in an all-star game. But despite his outstanding career in baseball, Owen has always been remembered as the guy who dropped the ball. A lot of times it doesn't matter how great your accomplishments are. There's always one little thing that people remember you for. I want to look in Judges chapter 4. We're going to take a look at a guy who is known for dropping the ball, but yet this guy ended up in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And this tells us something because in God's eyes, even if you have one of those drop balls in your life, it doesn't disqualify you from being in God's Hall of Faith for being a child of God. In Judges 4, now we've got to remember, this is a period in Israel's history where they go through these repeated cycles. And it's where they re reject God, they repent, and then they're redeemed. And it goes over and over and over again. The people of Israel reject God and start worshiping different gods. And then they start crying out to God. God would send them a judge. And then the judge would uh, rescue them from their issues. And it just repeated generation after generation after generation. But now in Judges 4, we find another one of these cycles beginning. In Judges 4, verse 1, After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jobin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sesera, who lived in Harasheth Hagamore. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, 
They cried out to the Lord for help. So at this point, they had turned away from God. They were given over. He said he had 900 chariots. I mean, this was, that was huge back in that day. It would be like going to a war. You have your, your guns, and they have tanks. I mean, it was huge that they had this kind of army. And they were oppressed for 20 years, and then they called out to God for help. This always amazes me that it took 20 years for them to call out to God for help. I mean, you would think, okay, give me about two hours, and I'm oppressed like that. I need some help. But 20 years, this shows you how hard their hearts could be, and sometimes how we just get used to living in that condition that we just accept it. A lot of times people just live a certain way and think it's never going to change. I'm just going to accept being the way that I am or my situation is. That doesn't have to happen if you're a child of God. But this is where they were at. So God called for a hero, but it wasn't a guy. It was a woman. And he called for Deborah to lead his people out of their situation. Now, if there's any male chauvinist in here, that's not how God thinks. So God is saying, listen, I'm not calling on any of these guys around here. I'm calling this woman because she has the heart that I'm looking for to lead my people out of here. Look in verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapithoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinan, from Kedesh of Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sesera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to, Kish, to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So at this point, Deborah, who's leading everything, God's called her to deliver the people. So she thinks, okay, I, you know what I need? I need this mighty warrior, Barak. I need him to be right there with me. And this is where we see Barak drops the ball. Now, even though this is a victory story, this isn't one that is popular like David and Goliath or Daniel and the lion's den. And so people don't really focus on this as a big victory story. But the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the men of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says all scripture. So this scripture we're going to look at, even though it's not like in one of those cartoon pop-up books for kids, is a victory story that we can learn from. And that's why this man is in the hall of faith. Look at what was his response. Deborah called him to go and look at his response in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I won't go. This was his response. You got to think, what kind of response is that? And this is the blunder that he is known for. But I want to take a look at what's really going on in his life because there's something here about what this man did that God said, I respect that and that is an example for everybody to follow. So I'm going to put it in the Hall of Fame. Now when we look at this week, we can learn a lot of things. But the first point I want to look at, three points. The first point, or I say three. If you're not interactive, it's going to be four or five. But the first point I want to look at is this. My relationship with God is the most important thing. My relationship with God is the most important thing. I think this is why Barak was in the Hall of Faith. 
Again, in verse 8, he said, if you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I won't go. Now, some might argue that Barak had little faith, and because he needed Deborah by his side to make him feel better. But I tend to agree with the writer commentary, Matthew Henry, where he says, Barak refused to go into battle without the assurance of God's favor and counsel. He says, you know what? I'll go to this battle, but I want you to go with me. Why? Because she was the prophetess. She was the one that God was talking to. So to him, it was more important that God is with me than I get the victory. And too many times we are more concerned with things like my job, my Facebook status, how many friends like me. We're concerned about all these things instead of God's victory over the situation. And it amazes me that he would rather be assured that God is with him than for him to get the credit for winning his victory. Because Deborah represented God's counsel, he wanted her by his side. Now she warned him, okay, if you do this, the honor's not going to go to you. It's going to go to a woman. And his response, it didn't bother him at all. He didn't care who got the credit. He was more concerned with him and God making it through this thing than anybody getting the credit for it. He knew this was what it was all about. Now, I'm going to give you ladies a secret here. Men are very insecure. Y'all laughed like y'all knew that already, but I thought this was a secret. Men are really concerned about being respected and acknowledging what they do. You go somewhere and you see construction work, what do you see? A sign that says, men at work. They want you to know they working. And ladies aren't as much into that. I mean, you don't like going to the kitchen and see moms doing dishes, a sign that says that. You may see a sign that says, mom needs help. But you don't see a sign like that. But it wasn't about who gets the credit for him. Now, I say it's because sometimes church folk can be more about the credit than other people. Because if they start doing something in the name of the Lord, you better make sure you give them recognition for that. I go to some churches. I, I, I visited churches back in the day when I did go to church every Easter and Christmas. I would drive up and there is a parking place for the preacher, parking place for the preacher's wife, for the preacher's third cousin on his mother's sister's side. I mean, they got names on the seats where you got to sit at. I mean... They want to recognize everybody that's doing something in the group. And then up there, they had the preachers have like these big thrones behind them. You know, you see Game of Thrones. This is like the Christian Game of Thrones, right? And they got all these different men sitting in these big seats, and they're sitting all up there eating the big turkey legs. But they're just sitting up there. Ain't did nothing the whole service, but they're just sitting there. Because people look for credit and recognition more than God getting the victory for the situation. I can't find a parking spot in this bad boy up here. But look real quick in Luke chapter 17, verse 7. Luke 17, verse 7. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing and looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he rather not say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready to wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you are told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You know, guys, when we're serving God, it's not about how we look. 
But see, the problem is a lot of people want to be first, but they don't want to play second fiddle. New York Philharmonica Orchestra conductor was asked this question. What is the most difficult instrument to play? The second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's the problem. And if we have no second fiddle, we have no harmony. It is so important to realize I don't have to be first getting the credit or sign. I can play second fiddle and be happy with Jesus. Because if God is my first fiddle, I don't have to worry about it. I'll play second all day. Too many people are like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. If he ain't at the wheel, where is he? In the trunk? Is he your spare tire? Why you got to ask him to take the wheel? We got to understand second fiddle, John the Baptist was second fiddle. He came to make way for Jesus. You look at Silas, you're like, who's Silas? I'll never hear about him unless it's Barnabas and Silas. That's the only time you hear about him, because he's second fiddle. You look at the disciples, who do you know? Peter, James, and John. What about the rest? Matthew. What? Like, you can't even name them. they all second fiddle. They're all playing that. It, it, that's, you know who John, John, Daryl Hall and John Oates is? Y'all remember them? Music group? He has to, some of y'all are like, I don't know who that is. Y'all know or you don't know. I'm going to talk to you, Frank. You gotta ask the question, who is John Oates? I don't even know if he can sing. But you know what? Daryl Hall made like five albums and they all flopped. He needed to make it with John Oates before it's number one. John Oates, second fiddle, but without him, there's nothing. Okay, let me get more practical. Y'all heard of Batman and Robin, right? What does Robin do? He can't even get his own movie. But you know, Batman needs him for help. That's how it works, guys. We got to understand playing second fiddle is a part of team harmony and unity. But too many times we all want to play the first violinist. But see, this is where Barak was. He wasn't concerned about getting the credit, the honor, or the glory. He was more concerned about winning the victory for God. But our problem is sometimes we get caught up in something. Look over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Sometimes we get caught up in the fleshly battle over credit. And when you do that, you forget who the real enemy is. In verse 12, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, our issue is not against the people that are here. And I say this because there's still unresolved issues in people's relationships. How well do you take challenges from other people? Let me be, let's talk to her for a minute here. Specifically, first of all, a husband and a wife. Brother, do you allow your wife to challenge you about things without you blowing up? How dare you disrespect me? How dare you talk to me like that? You are the woman. Submit. Ladies, do you get upset when your husband challenges you? Oh, you ain't did nothing all year. Now you want to come at me like that? So you got to ask yourself, how open am I to letting people in my life? You talk to each other. You know, what is going on? How, how are things in your life? Are you going on a Rhode Island trip? Why are you in my business? You take your own trip. Don't worry about my trip. Guys, we can get so caught up in battling each other that we forget the battle is against Satan. The battle isn't against each other flesh and blood. We need to stop wrestling over who gets the credit and start standing together, united against Satan and his schemes. Charles Swindle tells of a young college student who wanted to stay focused on God during his collegiate year. 
When school became stressful or peers pressured him to conform, he would look up to the ledge of his dormitory where he placed six three-by-five cards. Each card had just one letter printed on it, L-E-T-G-O-D, let God. One day, a gust of wind blew through the, the small door window and blew the last note card away, leaving him another message, L-E-T-G-O, let go. Let go and let God. That young man learned a valuable lesson. This is one lesson that we need to learn. Sometimes we say it and we talk about it and we praise it. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to let God handle this. I'm going to hand it over to the Lord. I ain't got to deal with them. I'm going to give it for the Lord. And But before I do all that, I got to make sure they know how I feel and how it affected me. And I'm going to make sure they understand they shouldn't do that to anybody else. And then I'm going to hand it over to Jesus. Are we really letting go and letting God? Oh, we got to do what we got to do, and then you tell you handle the rest, Jesus. See, guys, we got to understand, it's about who we are. And if somebody is doing you wrong, how do you handle that? You know, it says in, in, in Peter that when Jesus, when he suffered, he made no threats, did not retaliate, but trusted himself to God. See, we got to look at this and ask ourselves, how much am I willing to play second fiddle? Too many times it's, it's within my rights. Well, Paul said, I give up my rights if it's going to help somebody else be saved and make it to heaven. See, this is where we got to think and realize. The first thing that made him who he was in the hall of faith was the fact that he was more concerned about his relationship with God than any other thing in his life. So my challenge for the first point for each of us is your relationship with God your highest priority. Now, I'm not trying to scare you off, but here's a little test for you. Did you have your personal quiet time before you came to church? See? Your first priority. Even before coming to worship God, did you spend time with God? Or is this your time with God? See, it can't be just a group effort. It's still got to be you. You and God. So say you didn't. Well, when you go home, are you going to do it later on today? Just you and God. See, it comes back, is your relationship with God the most important thing? You know, I appreciate uh, Maurice, Mark. He gets off work at 6 a.m., goes to get the equipment, set everything up so we can all come here and worship together by 8 o'clock. He's getting off work, so he's up all night working, not just sitting up watching ESPN, working, and then still comes and sets everything up so we can have a time of worship. And not complain once that he doesn't get credit for doing something. So is it happening? By all means it's happening. But you know what, guys? We all, if that's one person, imagine if everybody did it. Now, I know there's more than one person doing it. But what I'm saying is if everybody had that attitude, if everybody had that heart, think of where we would really be. We would probably have to have three services on Sunday because it would be too many people in here. Point number one. My relationship with God needs to be the most important thing. Secondly, Burak learned, we can learn from him that I need to depend on the Word of God. I need to depend on the Word of God. Now let's consider what it was that Burak demanded in regards to his request for Deborah to go with him. Again, he said he would do this if she went with him. While it's true, Burak overstepped his bounds. He probably should not have come across the way he did. But he knew that this, this woman right here was the voice that God was talking through, was the oracle of God. So you know what I want 
to have her giving me advice and input in my journey. He looked around and he realized what had gone on for generations after generations. Everybody knew God, but they forgot about him and started doing other stuff. He said, you know what? I'm not going to make the same mistake that I've seen everybody else did. Not only am I going to go, but I want this prophetess with me. I want to make sure we go together to make this happen. And again, look in Judges chapter 4, verse 12. Back in Judges chapter 4, verse 12. So she gave him instructions on what he needed to do. In verse 12 it says, When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Horesheth, Pagorium, to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots and the army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hesroth Pagorium. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Now believe that God had given us his word. He's given us his word, his Bible, his, his full assurance for us. And it talks to us in Psalms 119 how this is the light for us in the dark world. The word of God is a light for us, shining for us to see our path. So within these Bibles, with these binders, is God's word. Now you know what's amazing? Is that people go look and they treasure the Declaration of Independence. They want to look at the words of Socrates, of Plato. They look at these things and they're fascinated. They're like, you know, grasping these things. How much auctioning? But how much more should we treasure the words of God, the creator of the universe? In your hands, on your phone, you have the words of God. Do you treasure that? Because I remember when I was growing up, again, I wasn't a churchgoer, but there was a whole lot of dust on our family Bible sitting around the house. And we would have one that was bigger than the rest that would sit out in case visitors came over. Just so they know, we have a Bible. I mean, this thing looked like the Ten Commandment tablets. It was just huge. But before people come, we dust it off, make it look good, and it was just sitting there. How useful is our Bibles for us today? How much do we apply those things? You know, it says in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's the Word of God that cuts us. It says it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know what that means? That means even though you didn't say it and you just thought it, God knows what you thought. It's like you walk around a big plasma TV on top of your head and God is watching everything. So when you take another look at that woman as she's walking away, guys, God sees that. Sisters, when you're about to say something to that guy, you didn't say it, but you so thought about Using that power of Jedi vision to blow his head up, God knows it. See, we cannot escape God. But many times we think we can. Because we have sin that we don't talk about. We have things we don't confess. Attitudes we don't resolve. But God already knows it. So we can walk around with our church clothes on and look at our churchy, but God knows what's really going on inside. And it doesn't matter who we try to fake, we will never fake out our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to have the Word of God not just with us, but dwelling within us. I heard of two parents whose oldest son was heading off to college for his freshman year. 
Before he left, they gave him a Bible, assuring him that it would help. Later, he began to email asking them for money. They would write back telling him, did you read your Bible today? Look in John. It tells you what God says. He said, yes, 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 I read my Bible. He called back again the next week. I need some more money. He said, well, did you read your Bible today? Did you look at Matthew? How Jesus conquered over the demons? Yes, 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 I read my Bible, but I still need some money. Finally, Christmas time came. So he came home, and they were talking to him, and they said, we know you haven't been reading the Bible. And he got a little defensive with this. I have been reading my Bible. So the dad picked up the Bible, opened it up, and shook it out, and 66 20s fell out. One for each book of the Bible. It said, if you had just been reading your Bible, you'd have money after money after money. But we know you haven't read your Bible. That's why you kept asking for money every single week. You know, it is important for us not just to have the Bible with us, but we're reading it and applying it to our lives day after day after day. So, the Bible's here. It has 31,102 verses in the Bible. That's how much nutrient-rich spirituality we can have. We're worried about having a balanced diet and cut out my gluten and cut out this flour and dairy. How about we cut out the sin and get the scriptures in the way we should? But again, let's go back to chapter 4, Judges chapter 4, verse 9. When Barak said to her, I will go with you. If you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. In verse 9, Deborah says, very well. Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, honor will be, not be given to you. For the Lord will hand Caesarea over to a woman. Now at this point, in my mind, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking it's going to be Deborah is the one that God's going to give the glory to. Because the other lady, Jael, is not even mentioned at this point. But she says a woman will get the credit. So then automatically we're thinking it must be Deborah. She's the prophetess. But it's not her. There's another woman. But see, this is how God works, too. We may think it's going to happen a certain way, but he says, whoa, you don't understand. i got a whole other plan. You just need to follow and trust what I'm doing. It's going to happen the way I said it, but it's going to happen in a different way. And look at what happens here in verse 17. Cesar, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Job and king of Hazor and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. For he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered it up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Barak came by in the pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple dead. Now, let's break this one down a little bit. This wasn't no little wimpy woman. There he is laying there asleep. So she took a tent peg. That's not like a little nail. That's a tent peg. Some big old things, like what they nailed in Jesus' hands. And you can't just put it on somebody's head and tap it. So she had to, boy, just put it there waiting. She had to cock back. She had to get some strength up in her and just drop the hammer on his head. And I'm sure she may have been strong, but it probably didn't just go all the way through his head into the ground with one hit. 
So she had to wind up again and drop it again on him again. Now, when she got done, she could... We just bought these. I ain't going to do that. When she got done, she just dropped the hammer and went out and said, Hey, yo, Barrett, here's the man you're looking for. Probably didn't say it in that way, but she said, here's the man. But the point is, the very words of God was fulfilled. And this woman, with her character and her love, her passion, she fulfilled God's will. Now, when all this was said and done, look in chapter 5, what happens? Which brings me to point number 3. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abamon, sang this song. When the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Syria, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. This goes on and on for 26 more verses. But the theme behind it all is praise God. Now, when the war was over, the battle was won, they had conquered the enemy. It says in verse 1 that Deborah and Barak sang this song together. See, even though they had that little tension, it didn't carry over. When it was all said and done, because God was the one they were focused on, they got together and praised the Lord in harmony. It wasn't about who's all first fiddle. It was about, this is about harmony together. She didn't say, mm-hmm, I told you you wasn't going to get the victory, then go on over there. And he didn't come with a nasty attitude, yeah, you were right, so what? No, no, no. The issue was God gained the victory. So together, we're going to sing in harmony. This is an important thing to realize. Because some people can come and say they're worshiping God, but still got issues in their heart towards other people. How can you really worship God wholeheartedly if part of your heart is dark because you got issues with somebody else? That little bit of darkness says you're not walking in the light as Jesus was in the light. So you've got to make sure you are clear your heart. That's what it talks about. Even in Corinthians, before you take communion, make sure you examine your heart. Examine yourself. I'm talking to the members of the church. If you visited, I'm glad you're here. First of all, quit visiting and become a member. But I'm talking to those that are already members because we don't want to have a church full of hypocrisy, a church full of fake people, a church full of fake Christians. You got to make sure your heart is where it needs to be so we can truly have harmony in our worship. They had some issues, but yet when it was all said and done, they harmonized and sang together. Now, in the end, even though he dropped the ball, Barack proved to be both a man of faith and a hero for his people because he still conquered and did incredible things. Catcher Mickey Owen dropped the ball and was never admitted into the Baseball Hall of Fame because of his one mistake. But God says, even though you make one mistake, it may be huge, but yet, even that one mistake, Jesus died so you can be forgiven. So don't let your past, don't let issues, don't let somebody stop you from being what God wants you to be. It doesn't matter what you did. What matters is what you're going to do for the Lord. And Barack is in the hall of faith because, number one, his relationship with God was the most important thing. 
Number two, he depended upon the word of God. And then thirdly, he praised God, and it wasn't about himself. When we look at this, it wasn't that he dropped the ball, but he set a great example for us to not be concerned with who gets the credit, but let's give it all to the Lord God Almighty. Thus, we will be in the hall of faith with him one day, and to God be the glory. Amen.